Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Leslie Hook, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. The UK's political parties are stepping up their commitments to tackling climate change and other environmental issues in a bid to attract younger voters. The latest YouGov poll ranks the environment as the third most important issue facing the country, behind only Brexit and the National Health Service. So what are the parties promising, and who has the best policies? With me to discuss this is Jim Pickard, our chief political correspondent, and Nick Butler, FT Energy commentator. Now, Jim, some people have called this a climate election, given how the parties are amping up their green policies. Do you think that term is merited? So I think what this election is going to be is, if the Conservatives win, it's the Brexit election. If Labour wins, it's probably a kind of NHS and public services election. And yes, environment is definitely coming up the tracks behind those primary issues. But I wouldn't say that this is the dominant issue of this election at all. What we do know from the detailed polling, though, is that it has increased in salience. I mean, if you go back to, I think it's the early 2000s, only 2% of people put it as one of their top issues. And that's now maybe around a fifth. I think the issue politicians always have to contend with, though, is that it's one thing for people to say they're really worried about the environment. It's another for them to accept that their behaviour or taxation systems have to change in a way that could impact on their own personal finances or on the way they go about their day-to-day business. And that's the crucial thing that hasn't really yet been tested. And what exactly are the four parties promising in their manifesto. We've got the Conservatives, Labour, the Lib Dems, the Greens. What are the highlights? So basically, the Conservatives have got this 2050 zero carbon target that they set out several months ago. They also want to ban new petrol and diesel cars by 2040. And they had this surprise announcement that they're putting a moratorium on fracking. Labour has a vastly more ambitious programme involving an awful lot of borrowing. They would borrow £250 billion for a kind of new green fund, they call it, which would pay for all sorts of things like 60 billion quid's worth of electric car loans, huge amounts of money for state-owned wind farms, a huge programme of home insulation, and there's sort of green tinge to almost everything in the Labour manifesto, even things like apprenticeships are dubbed green apprenticeships. And Labour has branded this a Green New Deal, and there's quite a cut across with what's happening with the Democrats in the US. They look at AOC and, and the American equivalent, and they've taken a lot of inspiration from that. And I think that is something that would fire up quite a few younger voters I think the Lib Dems have got a 2045 zero carbon target. I should say the Labour one is a 2030 zero carbon target, but it's a bit woolly. And then the Greens, unsurprisingly, given their name, the most ambitious of all. We don't mention the Brexit party in this respect because they are sort of notable for not being very green and not even trying to attend the climate debate on TV last week. That's right. That debate was quite controversial because leaders who didn't participate were replaced by an ice block on live TV. What was the fallout from that? If the Conservatives didn't want to highlight the fact that Boris Johnson refused to attend the Channel 4 debate, they went about it a very strange way by writing a letter of complaint to Ofcom, which is the media regulator, to moan about the fact that there was an ice sculpture on stage, which was not the ice head of Boris Johnson, which some people had hoped or thought it might be. Mm. So it sort of became a political row and it became the government threatening Channel 4. And I think the actual meat of what was discussed in the debate got a little bit overshadowed, to be honest. Yeah, the ice blocks stole the show, as it were. Now, Nick, you've been quite critical of all the parties when it comes to their pledges on the environment. What are your main concerns? I have the sense that they all feel that they should be saying something serious about 
climate, but they're clearly not very expert or realistic in the ideas they're putting forward. I think the things that we've heard from most of them are uncosted and unrealistic in terms of the timescale. And, and that goes from the Tories talking about fusion power, which is at a very early stage of research, to the Labour Party talking about planting two billion trees, which is three trees a second from now to 2040. And I think the pity of it is that this is a serious issue that deserves to be taken really seriously and a proper plan laid out. And all they're doing is showing that they have an interest in it. I don't think it's convincing anybody who cares about the issue, and it certainly isn't going to solve it. I want to ask about the Labour manifesto in particular, because they laid out, if I'm not mistaken, a windfall tax on oil and gas that would help pay for this transition. And the Labour manifesto has the biggest numbers in terms of what they want to do, but they've also said they would nationalize the energy supply arms of the big six electricity providers. Do you think those policies would be effective as the UK tries to cut its emissions and shift the economy towards a low carbon economy? Well, how long have we got? I think the first problem is that the North Sea oil sector is not making the sort of money that they would like to collect from it. Secondly, it does depend where you put the money to make the real difference. And I think the fact that we haven't got costings means that we don't know what the most cost-effective way to achieve the objective is going to be. And thirdly, I think all the parties are very focused on the UK. If you follow through their policies, we'd have a very clean UK, but it would be within a dirty world because the real challenge on emissions is not Britain or even Europe, which is only 10% of the world total. It's India and China, and we need to be investing in the technology that can help them reduce their emissions over the next few decades. I mean, I think just to butt in there, I think a lot of people have seen the Extinction Rebellion protests, and they have obviously excited an awful lot of people, especially young younger people in this country. And when you talk to Momentum, who are the pro-Corbyn support group, who were pushing for the Labour to adopt the 2030 zero carbon target, when you said to them, this is incredibly ambitious, how would you go about this? They would say, well, look, Extinction Rebellion want 2025. A lot of young Labour members want to do this in the next six years. So we think 2030 is kind of a compromise. What they are overlooking is the physical task of ripping out around 20 million household gas boilers, of replacing the entire transport system with zero carbon electric alternatives. You can envisage a world where we get rid of gas-fired power stations and coal-fired power stations. The latter is already happening. But to sort of expand the electric system to the extent that you can then electrify everything else, it's phenomenally ambitious. And to be fair to the Labour Party of them and the Conservatives, the Conservatives have got some sort of interesting-sounding green stuff. Labour, by contrast, is actually thinking seriously about this is something that does need to be done with huge state intervention, huge amounts of money. You can argue the toss over whether it's a good use of money and what the point is of Britain being the greenest country in the world if everywhere else is, is becoming not green at all. But at least Labour is trying to sort of match the ambitions of their rhetoric, whereas the Conservatives still don't actually have any practical means or path to their 2050 target, albeit 30 years away. They're not talking about how they might get there, really. That's right. And that debate over what is the right date to reach net zero emissions has been really interesting to watch that unfold because it's been quite controversial within the Labour Party, as you've written about, Jim. Nick, how significant do you think that year is? 
Do you think that the actual year really makes a difference? I think each year should make a difference, but it's very important that we have a steady progression year by year with interim targets. But to keep uh, public confidence in politics, I think you've got to have targets that can really be realized. And we should have some for 2020, some for 2030, and more for 2050. And I think quite a lot can be done, particularly if you invest in, in the right science around this. And that's why it's so disappointing that these slogans, I completely agree with Jim, people have heard the Extinction Rebellion cry of pain, and they are responding to it, but they're not responding seriously. And I think that that damages politics as an activity. Now, Jim, I want to ask about the election in particular, which is coming up on December 12th. Do you see evidence that climate policies are really going to impact how some people vote? Could it impact the outcome I think it's not going to be the deciding issue of the election campaign. If you were to look at the sort of general trend of demographics and how people have voted over the last 10 or 20 years, you can see a really interesting shift whereby voting used to be sort of largely on socioeconomic grounds. Now, as Brexit has exemplified, it's now more on kind of mindsets of whether people are progressive, inverted commas in their views, or small c conservative. And tackling climate change and worrying about climate change very much on the progressive side of things. And therefore, those people who would sort of worry about climate change are, yes, going to be inclined to vote for sort of Labour or the Lib Dems. You would have thought just because that is their worldview. And people who aren't that worried about climate change are probably more likely to be leavers if you look statistically at it. And leavers are more likely to vote conservative. I wouldn't take it in isolation. I would see it as part of a broader outlook that then leads to where you put your cross in the ballot box. If Nigel Farage sort of popped up and suddenly said, I think we need to borrow a trillion pounds to sort of invest in green infrastructure, he might lose quite a few of his right-wing supporters. Yeah. And equally, if Boris Johnson was to say, the whole thing's a hoax and we should just carry on with loads of coal, then he might lose quite a few centrist, moderate Tories, but neither of those are doing that. I think, Leslie, it's much more likely to be an issue in the US election next year than it is in our election here in the UK. I think the difference between the Democratic Party, between people like Mrs. Warren and Bernie Sanders and Mr. Trump is so stark that people who do take climate change seriously are going to move clearly in one direction. That's true. And it was striking in the climate debate on Channel 4 a few days ago how much agreement there was, in fact, between the leaders who spoke there. They were debating on the details, but they all agreed on the direction of travel, as it were. I also think, Leslie, to go back to one of your earlier questions, that uh, if the proposals that are being put on the table had been costed, there would be more of a debate because the costs are going to be quite serious. They're probably necessary. But people, I think, can read the manifestos and get the idea that all this comes for very little expense. And that is just not true. And I want to ask about that issue of trade-offs, because there are, of course, trade-offs and actual sacrifices to be made in terms of lifestyle. I mean, Jim, you've referred to ripping out, you know, the home heating system, which is going to be expensive and inconvenient. Two of the parties, the Greens and the Lib Dems, both include things like taxing frequent flyers, which, of course, creates an additional cost to people who travel a lot. Do you think that some of these policies could be unpopular once they're actually implemented? I mean, Nick, you've talked about how these are unlikely to be effective. Do you think that the unpopularity of the policies that will be required to reach net zero is is that the root cause of some of this ambiguity? 
I think it's a real issue and it's got to be explained to people very carefully what the actual positive impact is of each step. I mean, you saw in France with the Gilets Jaunes, the, the response to quite a small increase in uh, petrol taxes. And also I note that successive governments here have declined to follow the automatic increase in fuel duties because they believe that is unpopular. So what matters and what is needed is that people understand the costs of what they're committing to, what they're voting for, and see that it has a valid impact in the real world. And I don't think this election has yet to achieve that. Now, right now, the UN Global Climate Talks are going on in Madrid. And next year, the UK is the host of the climate talks known as COP26, which will be in Glasgow next fall. How do you think this election will play out beyond the borders of the UK? I mean, Nick, you've referred to the US election, which of course is also coming up. How do you think the policies and what's decided here will impact the rest of the world? I think in Madrid and next year, you're going to see a great drive for more and more countries to commit to net zero by 2050 or even sooner. And some will. I think 60 odd have done so to date. And we may begin to see more detailed policies as to how that is going to be achieved. I hope what will be done is that people will come together to fund some of the science that could actually achieve low cost and low carbon simultaneously so that we can make the changes in India and elsewhere, which will absolutely affect the end point and the result of all this. I mean, partly the answer to that question depends on who wins, because we are sort of assuming on the polls that the Conservatives would win and therefore things wouldn't change enormously. If Labour's to win, which is not impossible, or if Boris Johnson was unable to get a majority and therefore the left-wing parties scrabble together some kind of loose coalition, and they did bring in some kind of, albeit slightly flaky, 2030 target, the message that sends out to the rest of the world could be quite galvanising or alarming, depending on other countries' point of view. But then that would certainly be a massive, massive talking point around COP. But um, let's cross that bridge if and when we actually come to it. Thank you. Well, thank you, Nick. And thank you, Jim. And thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on saving wildlife through conservation finance, Taylor Swift in the music industry, or UK economic policies and the election, you can subscribe and listen on all the usual podcast platforms. If you enjoyed this episode of FT News in Focus, Rate us or leave us a comment on your podcast provider. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.